0: Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor for the entire year of 2016, which is about to end, and the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. Drop your old ticket app and use one built for 2017 and beyond. You can even do absolutely everything on your phone. Download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by FrameBridge. They have framed every single thing in my office and the Ringer Studio. I love these guys. Mail them art, posters, memorabilia, even uploaded digital photos. Their experts will frame it and send it back in days. Prices start at 39 bucks, ridiculously inexpensive. Go to framebridge.com, and our offer code BS. You'll get 15% off your first order plus free shipping. And don't forget to check out Channel 33. That's the Ringer's pop culture podcast that just launched a new show called the Sports Movie Hall of Fame. I'm the host, along with Chris Ryan. We inducted Jerry Maguire last week and Moneyball this week. So two shows And we don't just talk about the movies We talk about stuff like You know Tom Cruise What's his best movie Why did Brad Pitt appear to give up on acting And life itself and Allied Whole bunch of topics that come out of these movies But we did Jerry Maguire and Moneyball this week Subscribe to Channel 33 right now to hear every episode Shout out to the ringer.com. Shout out to a great 2016 that we had digitally And we are off All right, on the phone for the last time in 2016, my friend Joe House, how are
1: you? I'm outstanding, notwithstanding the continued and really, at this point, impressive performance of the stink streak.
0: Oh, in the Callaway Part 3. Yeah, we're, so we're saving our football picks until the tail end of this podcast because it's week 17 and there are just so few meaningful games it's almost like a little hiatus until Sunday night. It doesn't really does it really matter if Kansas City or Oakland is the two seed. I guess it matters a little if Kansas City is. But for the most part, Sunday night is the night. I want to talk basketball. We're going to do the December Power Poll for the NBA. We did November last month and kind of skipped over the top nine. This time, we're skipping over the first 21 and doing the top nine. But before we do that, I have a little surprise for you, Joe House.
1: Oh, I'm excited.
0: I read George, George Carl's entire book. Already? Yeah. It didn't take long. It's like 200 pages. I didn't
1: know it was out already. I just saw the, uh, you know, he was, he flamed everybody and everybody's mad at him.
0: Yeah. And so I got it last week and was thumbing through it and I saw that PEDs part and I was like, oh, and meant to do this on a podcast with you and I should have realized other copies are going to come out. What's annoying to me though is they had mailed me another copy like six weeks ago which I threw in the garbage. I just was like, what do I care about a George Carl book? I didn't realize that in the words of Al Pacino instead of a woman, he's going to take a flamethrower to this place. And he did. He brought out (laughs) a big fat flamethrower and he threw flames at everybody on the planet, including these are, so I made a list of all the, all the players that he coached, that he annihilates in the book, Carmelo Anthony, Kenyon Martin, DeMarcus Cousins. Apparently he did annihilate them. And then, uh, The book ends abruptly. I think they had to take out all the Sacramento Kings stuff because he must have signed some non-disclosure agreement. It's literally, it gets to the Kings and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, that's the end of the book. Here are the acknowledgements. It's like, wait, what happened to the Kings? Uh, He annihilates Ray Allen, JaVale McGee, Joe Barry Carroll, World Be Free, Kendall Gill, and Anthony Mason. Those are the guys he coached at various stops. Crushes all of them. He crushes Paul Pierce for the 2002 World Championships. He crushes Ice Girvin because he used to practice against him when he was in, when he was an ABA player in the 70s, and Ice didn't like the hard defense he played. Uh, he annihilates bloggers. He annihilates Don Nelson for backstabbing him and taking the Golden State Warriors job from him. He, he throws a sideswipe at Frank Layden because they had a playoff series, and Frank Layden congratulated him before Game 5. Uh, for a great season, past tense, which Carl then passed on to his players and the Warriors upset the Jazz. And then he took a couple side swipes at David Stern, not including or or not accepted for uh, the 93 Suns Sonic series, which you and I have always thought was one of the all-time fishiest Game 7s that have ever happened. The the Suns shot 64 free throws, which George talks about in the book and was not happy. And then in 2001, the Sixers-Bucks series against Iverson, which was a huge free-throw disadvantage in favor of the Sixers, as well as a bunch of technical fouls, a really fishy Game 5 that I think they destroyed all copies on YouTube. And then right before Game 7, a couple hours before, they suspended Scott Williams, one of his centers for the game. So that's just the background of what happens in this book. Are you excited already for all of this stuff?
1: It's incredible. I have two, two observations. First... There is absolutely no doubt. It's a lock of the century, a 1,000% chance that he had a non-disclosure with Sacramento.
0: Yeah, 100% that is, chance. That's a guarantee. Not even 99, it's 100. Making, he doesn't even mention it. Yeah, What's funny is they forget to take it in the, it, in the book. There's all these pictures, right? And yeah. the pictures have these little captions. And there's the Boogie Cousins picture. I'm looking at it right now. And it says, my year and a half with the Kings was interesting was one of them and then another picture was demarcus cousins and i battle for position a picture of him and cousins he won comma i guess that's the only real mention of cousins in the entire book so they must have taken <laughs> it out of text anyway
1: yeah well the, uh, the other thing is and and i i mean this genuinely does he not want to work in basketball ever again
0: the the answer is no because you the uh the shots that he takes all over the place here's the thing I 90% enjoyed it. Like I really liked, I, I liked how candid he was. I He he says in the beginning that he designed the book because he wanted to make it seem like you were hanging out at a hotel bar with him. And basically he's telling you what it's like to be a coach and this and that and his thoughts on everything, which is great. The 10% that is really kind of disarming is the stuff about Carmelo and Kenyon Martin
1: it's somewhere well, he already be- apologized for the fatherless comment.
0: Yeah, it's somewhere between racist and ignorant because he criticizes both guys as being totally uncoachable and as part of the background for those comments, brings up what their background is and how they were single family guys. And hold on, I'm going to find this part here. It's page 191 if you're ever thumbing through the book in a bookstore. So here's the Kenya Martin part. I knew right away that our power forward was the most, one of the most insecure, immature players I ever coached. Kenny Martin had grown up poor in South Dallas, single-parent home. His mother worked two jobs. He was teased unmercifully for a stutter and for his skin color. Then a page later, he's talking about Carmelo. Carmelo grew up poor in West Baltimore, single-parent home. His father died when he was two with drugs and in the neighborhood. It must have been a combat zone. This is a theme that comes up a few times in the book. Is that he seems to think if you don't have a dad, you're not coachable, and he talks about how important dads are. And when you don't have a dad, people he didn't have somebody in his life back then that would have helped him out and kind of taught him right from wrong. It's it's uncomfortable. It just well. Is. Here's the
1: thing: he has a body of work that that bespeaks, uh, you know, the, the idea that he has any kind of an underlying. Um, Uh, you know, bad bad spirit as it relates to race, right? Right,
0: It's I wouldn't say it's a bad spirit. I would say he's just completely ignorant. Like, he doesn't seem to realize that by pigeonholing these two guys with the, like, here's something he wrote. Kenyon and Carmelo carry two big burdens, all that money, comma, and no father to show them how to act like a man. Just a weird thing to write. Like, so many people have grown up to be successful in this country who had one parent or who were just raised by their mother. It's it's the kind of blanket statement that people just don't really make anymore publicly, which is well, what I makes it so strange.
1: He, he apologized for that. I haven't read the apology. I only saw the headline. And well, I would be interested in seeing how, how it is that he explains whatever it is that he meant. The, the curious thing is how uh, he had the pen. It was his book he could have, you know, come up with a more nuanced way of describing whatever it was that was in his heart that he was trying to communicate. Um, but it is in this day and age, and especially for a guy with a 30, 30 35 year career, um, mostly successful, right? I mean, you would regard him mostly as a success definitely in, in the league. Uh, no so that means he's, He's navigated a lot of um, complicated relationships with, with players, with owners, and, and a whole variety of, you know, he, he's interacted with, with folks of, of varying races successfully. Um, this thing is just incredibly tone-deaf. It it's just a very dumb way to make the point.
0: Right. On that same page, he's talking about J.R. Smith. J.R. had a slightly different story. He went straight from high school in New Jersey to AAU, success to the NBA. His father was on the scene and in his life, which is obviously good. But Earl Smith Jr. just starting to shoot the ball and keep shooting it from the very moment I put him in the game, which is obviously bad. It's just, as you said, tone deaf and also really strange for a book. Because during a book process, you have so many different points when somebody can kind of jump in and say, Hey, man, you might want to rephrase. Hey, that Carmelo it feels weird. The Carmelo and Kenyon section back to back when you're kind of killing them. Um, as being immature, partly because they didn't have a dad. And maybe you want to tone that down or re-say it or rewrite it. And during this whole process, nobody had that conversation with him. Which, you know, I, c- I can see it in like a podcast or even if he wrote a Players' Tribune thing and the wrong editor wasn't there or whatever. But it's just weird. And I, I think he had a lot of damage. I-, I can't decide whether he was a terrible person to coach a lot of the people that ended up coaching or whether those people ended up damaging him because like another guy he coached was Iverson at the tail end of Iverson's career when Iverson, you know, he, he, Carl's pretty candid. He's like, one of the reasons we're able to get him is because he had been going out all the time for 10 years and was a legendary partier. And by the time we got him, we were starting to feel the effects on his body, you know, which is what we saw. We certainly had heard all the stories and it was no secret, but it was interesting to hear him talk about that. But um, I can't decide if he just had the worst luck possible with the people he coached or whether it was just the era that he coached because like, I didn't even mention Sean Kemp who he liked and said that eventually it became a real problem when Jim McElveen signed that contract and Sean Kemp took it personally and started to act weird and all that stuff. But you know, the one person you go through all these guys that they're, they're all either head cases or people that had reputations as not being the easiest person to coach. The one person that he's really against is Ray Allen, which I, I was shocked by. Like, I, you know, I, does it seem like Ray Allen is the most difficult guy to coach? Did you ever get that perception?
1: Not not once, right? I mean, he uh, had long careers with the teams that he played for. The teams that he played for wanted him to keep to, to stay with them. The Celts didn't want him to leave. The Heat were thrilled to, to, to get him. Um, and the same was true in, in, in Seattle and in Milwaukee, right?
0: Yeah, well, here's what he writes about Ray. It was a relief after they traded him in that terrible trade for Desmond Mason and Gary Payton. It was a relief to see Ray gone. It was like popping a blister. Although Ray and I had a good relationship for for years, eventually he inhabited a sort of shadow land with the Bucks. He was too good and too well paid to be under my control, and he knew it, and the other players saw it. The coolness of his personality reminded me of Joe Barry Carroll. Unfortunately, Ray wasn't a negative guy, but I didn't think his teammates liked him. I knew I didn't. "Quote: Ray Allen had been nothing has been nothing but trouble." I told the press we had no choice but to get rid of him. So it's always like it was wow. somebody. Yeah, he killed him. It's always like a, like he destroys Carmelo. I mean, too many different. A lot of the stuff has trickled out, but he's basically saying Carmelo you know, use the people around him. All he wanted to do was shoot. He didn't want to play defense. Uh, he wasn't a leader. Like he just, he goes through all the way and he kind of kills GP for the first couple years of GP's career and had all these battles he had. And they said eventually they found some common ground and he was able to kind of get on the same page with them. But it's.
1: So that, that's, that's, that's a really interesting, uh, observation by him, this finding common ground, because that that's the point. That's his job. The weird thing, the the feeling I'm getting, and I haven't read one word of this, all of this is brand new. And yeah, that's impressive. why I wanted I to me. spring it on you. It. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted you to
0: just react off what I was telling you.
1: I love you springing it on me. It sounds like he took a pair of glasses that, that like are, are old white guy glasses and put them on and sat down and started writing because he could not have possibly had the success he had with the teens that he had. If indeed it was the case that he was not able to, um, you know, get get to a place where these players would would perform on a you know on a consistent basis for him, he got the the best of Melo. I would argue, right? Didn't he get the the very best out of Melo? Yeah, and, and didn't Kenyon Martin have some great years for him?
0: Yeah, Kenyon was up and down because he was hurt and then he was healthy. He was He was healthy. Chauncey Billups came in and was the thing that he even says like that was the best Carmelo ever played that one year. And he kind of glosses over how close they came to beating the Lakers in 09. Remember they threw away two of those games on inbounds passes and it was two, two heading into game five. And then they lost yeah, we the last genuinely
1: two. thought Denver could win that.
0: Yeah. And Carmelo was playing. The recipe there was not unsimilar from what happened with Dirk and Dallas two years later, but it, it's weird. He takes a lot of credit for being a, a great coach and, and making everything work when the team's going well, but kind of glosses over a lot of the collapses that his team's had. He, he goes into detail the 94 when they lost to the Nuggets in game five and just, oh, that's, that's one part I wanted to read to you. Actually, this is
1: page. Dikembe and Robert Pack.
0: Yeah. This is page 108. He, so they, they go up to nothing, I but he says, I didn't see it then, but in hindsight, maybe we're beginning to crumble. Gary Peyton and Ricky Pierce screamed at each other in the halftime locker room. Something about Ricky taking a shot when there should have been another pass. I'm pretty sure they swung fists at each other. And I'm pretty sure one or both of them said something about getting a gun. Somebody, Sheffield, had to step between them. Sam made a late three. Gary threw in a runner. We won won by 10. Game was closer than that. And then he basically is like, things started to fall apart. And uh, Gary yelled at everyone locker room after the game, but I'm pretty, That's pretty sure one. Twenty two years later, I'm pretty sure one or both of them said something about getting a gun. What?
1: Uh, what? <laughs> 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 I, 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 I'm flummoxed by all of this. I really yeah. am. Am speechless. I'm trying to think about what job he thinks he he could do next. It can't possibly be the case that his calculus was. Not all of the money that I could make for the rest of my career is going to come from this book. So I'm going to write it as though, you know, there there, there are no implications or consequences whatsoever for my uh, well, that, future employability.
0: Yeah, I, I, think, I think he's done as a coach. And, you know, there was another thing that happened with him that was a little racist, which I had forgotten, which got a lot of publicity at the time. I can't remember what year this was, but it was talking about, oh, after Doc Rivers became a coach, he gave this quote. He said, Doc's been anointed, and that's okay. I understand that that happens, but it's not necessarily right. Doc does a great job. Now there's going to be four or five more anointments of the young Afro American coach, which is fine because I think they have been screwed, but I have a great young assistant who can't even get an interview. And this, t- so this was 2002. And it turned into a big stink at the time, which I had totally forgotten. Doc Rivers said George never complained about Larry Bird when he got a job as head, head coach of the Pacers. Mark Jackson said it was disrespectful, blah, blah, blah. And that was a whole thing. Yeah. And and he got murdered for a couple of days and then ended up apologizing for that. So it, basically what I took away from the book was that George Carl is – like your, your relative at Thanksgiving, who's a little inappropriate, maybe one out of every 20 things he says, you're like, Oh no, uncle George, no, don't say that. And that's kind of who he was as a coach. And now it makes more sense to me after reading this book, why he had problems with so many players. And I can't believe that he thought after all the, the ups and downs he'd had coaching enigmatic superstars that he ever in a million years thought it was going to work with him and, and DeMarcus Cousins. Why would he ever th- think that was going to work?
1: Well, he he did. Looking back, get probably a bigger helping than you would expect of enigmatic players, right? Like over the course of of he his did. career, I would, yeah,
0: I would say he definitely. The thing is, most and
1: maybe most of these that guys probably are, created though. opportunity for him, right? Yeah, I guess like he, folks he took, took a look. He had bad luck. The, the,
0: I know, but at the same time, he coached Gary Payton and. Sean Kemp in their primes for four years.
1: And they played in the finals. And they were the was finals. A great basketball team. And, yeah.
0: and he admits he was a dumbass because he didn't put GP on on Michael Jordan until game like game four. Right. So he had that team. He had you know, he had a team that had Carmelo and Chauncey and Kmart and a whole bunch of good guys on that Denver team that easily could have won the title if a couple things had gone differently. He had uh the the there was one other team the there. Milwaukee
1: team was pretty oh, good oh the
0: Milwaukee team was really good that that was a peak Ray Allen year he had same cassell he had big dog he had Scott Williams Tim Thomas like that team I thought that was the best team in said that year couple more things then we'll move on uh this is just a couple anecdotes he said to Sean Kemp one time Sean I said one day vasectomy it's a George Carl quote
1: that's not even funny.
0: Yeah, that's that was just his story about Sean Kemp. Uh, he This is weird. He was t- he had some really good thoughts about cocaine and how it really ruined the 80s in a lot of ways, the NBA, which is all true. And that led to his weird comment about the PDs, which I'm still trying to figure out, you know, what he was trying to say. We'll get to that in a second. But he said, a grand jury in Phoenix indicted three current and two former sons for using cocaine, And then Ricky William Bedford was subpoenaed to tell what he knew. Unbelievable. A drug was destroying an NBA team. It could have taken down the whole league and not just from bad PR. All right. Ready for this part? The press didn't really pick up on the possibility of gamblers and dealers pressing addicted players into shaving points or throwing games. If that had happened, not even Bird, Magic, and Stern could have rescued the league. I read that like 20 times and I can't 100% figure out what he means.
1: What what time? What era?
0: This is the uh, the Walter Davis Sons 1980s DJ. That's why the Sons had to trade DJ. There was, they had that cocaine thing that happened. And I, I forget what the details were. It was like some dealer or something, but it became a big, big story. And it turned out the Sons had a big drug cocaine issue at the time. So George was saying, the press didn't really pick up on the possibility of gamblers and dealers pressing addicted players into shaving points or throwing games. I've never heard anyone throw that out before. And I don't know whether he was just incredible. speculating or whether he actually wondered if that was happening. But man, that made me kind of rethink everything. So then the, the next page he says, he's talking about drug problems. And he's like... Uh, We've still got a drug issue, though, a different one than 30 years ago, and this one bothers me more than the dumbasses who got in trouble with recreational drugs. I'm talking about performance-enhancing drugs like steroids, human growth hormone, and so on. It's obvious some of our players are are doping. How are some guys getting older yet thinner and fitter? How are they recovering from injuries so fast? Why the hell are they going to Germany in the offseason? I doubt it's for the sauerkraut. Most likely it's for the newest, hardest-to-detect blood boosters and PDs they have in Europe— Unfortunately, drug testing always seems to be a couple of steps behind drug hiding, Um, blah, blah, blah. I think we want the best athletes to succeed, not the biggest, richest cheaters employing the best scientists, but I don't know what, what to do about it. It's weird. He's all over the place. He clearly thinks there's PEDs, but then just mentions the Germany thing instead of seven or eight other things he could have mentioned and then just runs away from it, almost like the lawyers for the book were like, get off this now, or we got to take that part out, or what happened? What did you make of that?
1: Well, that's the first time I've heard it. Um, I think at this point, uh, we're kind of pa- past the idea. So the one thing about basketball that has always been um, com- compelling to me as it relates to PEDs, nobody's ever drawn a direct line between in, you know, basketball performance, enhanced performance, and any of the attributes of, of any of the so-called performance-enhancing drugs other than recovery. And I have been on this podcast many times. I am a, the kind of guy that wants to see the best players play all the time, right. right? So I'm in support of whatever it is that guys need under the supervision of a physician to help them be able to play 82 regular season games and however long the teams might be in the playoffs, his assessment there is is so all over the place that it, it makes it easy easily dismissed to me. Like I don't know what he thinks that that, that you know guys are getting older and, and thinner, or I, I don't even know who fits the <laughs> um the, the the characteristics that he's talking about, and I don't know what he thinks. What advantage like he's he's so unspecific about what advantage guys might be getting based on whatever enhancing uh drug he might be referring to there that it's it's mostly kind of a useless observation to me.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't totally understand it either and, and if he was gonna bring it up there are other things he could have said and maybe he should have maybe he did and they took it out. But to me it's like endurance and recoverability would be the two reasons to to take peds if you're an nba player and it still hasn't been successfully explained to me why you wouldn't especially when you're playing these nine-month seasons and a hundred games and you a playoff game every other day and there's stuff that can help you and you're super competitive i it's hard for me to believe that nobody has gone down that road who's a really good player i just don't believe it Anyway. Uh, well,
1: and, and what what what's the problem? I mean, if I pay to go see Oklahoma City, I want to see Russell Westbrook. I don't want to catch them on a night when he might be resting. Now, God bless Russell Westbrook. He's not resting at all. He's out there destroying the league. But, like, you know, what if you bought tickets uh, to go see that, that Memphis game um, after Christmas when LeBron and Kyrie and I don't remember who else stayed home. Did Kevin Love stay home also?
0: Yeah. So what do you do?
1: I don't know. You don't get a refund for that.
0: You got to poke it out of the stick. Here's another thing George wrote. (laughs) Merry Christmas. George wrote this about the 80s because he coached Chris Washburn and talks about just how the guy was a mess from day one. I also discovered that drugs and whores were especially easy to get in Oakland, making it the go-to place for NBA players with those two bad habits. So when I was at Grantland, we wanted to do an oral history about the Oakland Hyatt because that was like oh the legendary place where everybody fell apart when they were on an NBA schedule and they would go there and the wheels would come off and they would have to go in rehab after. And needless to say, nobody was ready to talk about that one, but Oakland, <laughs> Oakland, in 80s. For that. Oakland in the eighties. <laughs> Oakland in the eighties. Incredible. This is a couple more things. Then we'll move on. Donahy talks about the whole thi- Donahue thing. Donahue confirmed what I think we all knew. Refs are human. They're supposed to look and act like impartial judges in the bright arena and on TV, but they make calls based on emotion and they build grudges. Parentheses. Just look up Tim Duncan versus Joey Crawford and Allen Iverson versus Steve Javi. So he lost the refs. George isn't coaching again. Not happening. <laughs>
1: Dude, there isn't anybody that, that, that uh, he left off his list. Here's... Did, he kill... Did he go after Ernie Johnson?
0: No, no, he didn't. Ernie Johnson and Craig <laughs> Sager. Somehow he didn't go after them.
1: Hallelujah.
0: These are the five best players he coached against. He makes a list in the middle. Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, LeBron James, John Stockton. Huh. Yeah. John Stockton.
1: John Stockton? High
0: praise. Five best players he coached. Gary Payton, Sean Kemp. He
1: coached against Hakeem. He thinks John Stockton was more impactful I'm, than Hakeem. I'm
0: just telling you what his list was. Five best players I coached. Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, Ray Allen, Detlef Schremp, and then in parentheses, Do I Have To, Carmelo Anthony. Boy, did he hate Carmelo Anthony. Wow. I'm telling you, I enjoyed this book. It just made the single dad stuff made me genuinely uncomfortable. I, I just can't believe anyone in his life didn't intervene on that, on that. It just was, I don't know, it just rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, one more thing, and then we're going to move on.
1: You keep saying that. I I enjoy it though. You can keep going as long as you want.
0: So I had heard rumors about this and it's it's one of the great NBA what ifs and I can't remember if I put it in my book or not. But before the ninety four draft, so the first the first full year after Jordan the first year after Jordan left when the Rockets beat the Knicks in seven, right?
1: Right. June think, of ninety four.
0: He the the Bulls called Seattle and wanted to trade Scottie Pippen for Sean Kemp, Ricky Pierce, and Seattle's number one pick. George Carl called Michael Jordan and he writes, We talked about minor league baseball, North Carolina basketball, and golf. Then we talked about the big deal on the table. Should we do this? And Jordan said, do it. Scotty can make your other players better. Kemp can't. And then Seattle, they were like a mess behind the scenes at the time, and it got screwed up. They were going to do it. The owner got And then all of a sudden, they were too afraid because the fans love Sean Kemp, and they backed out. They didn't do it. So that was in Seattle's hands, that trade. Didn't do it. Wow. That's a big what if. Those are three titles. This is the 96, a really 97, answer, 98 titles?
1: But what c- couldn't uh, Chicago still have done that?
0: Which is to say,
1: they still could have won, right? What do you mean? With 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 uh, you think they win with, with Kemp?
0: You think they win with Kemp instead of Pippen? They def- the seventy two and ten yeah. team doesn't happen. They probably don't get no. Dennis Rodman
1: cuz they yeah, have can't,
0: right. can't play them again it's that's a giant monkey wrench i had to like go take a walk after i read that i had to walk around the block i was like oh my god my brain exploded uh quick break to talk about our friends at Sling TV please tell me you're not spending your football weekends hoping a friend will invite you over or wasting time looking for a shady live stream that will probably crash your laptop with Sling TV watch live college or pro football on your terms and your turf with Sling Orange Pay just twenty bucks a month and get the live sports you love, as well as your favorite entertainment and news on ESPN, ESPN two or other top networks. You can also get SEC network with the sports extra for just five bucks more. No installation, no extra gear, no annual contracts, and an easy online cancellation. Need an internet connection, you're ready to go. Watch live football and more for seven days free at sling.com slash Bill Simmons and get Sling TV on your favorite device. Restrictions apply. So my takeaway on the George Carl book is I love all basketball books. I love reading any book that I learned a couple things from. And I definitely did with this. I'm glad he apologized for the single dad stuff. I thought I I just thought it was wrong. Um, but ultimately, I was glad I skimmed through the book and powered through it. I learned some stuff. And I don't, I don't know what we want as a society. When, we, when people are super candid, then we react against certain things that they wrote. And we can't believe what they said and all that stuff, like an athlete or a coach, whoever. But then, if they're if they're not super candid, then we resent them for not being more candid, not having more personality. Basically, these people can't win. Is what about the fine this.
1: line in between? I mean, yeah. you know the the, the roadmap for um, how guys in his position do this. It's like the Phil Jackson thing. You you sprinkle a few nuggets, you throw a few gentle bombs, but you you still stay above the fray. I mean, I, I he, he's a bomb dropper. I think that was he's a, really. That was a,
0: Yeah, I think he's really bitter that his coaching career didn't come out better. And I think he blames a bunch of people for it. And really, I think part of the problem was the kind of coach that he was. I just he didn't put up with bullshit and he didn't know how to cajole people. And he didn't really know how to coach difficult superstars. And unfortunately for him, the NBA is filled with difficult superstars. We have a bunch of them right now. This is one thing he wrote at the end. He was talking about his ideal situation. Uh, a team leader would be nice, but I've learned they're not absolutely necessary. It's great when you have some coach on the floor guys. I had Chauncey in Denver, Lonnie Shelton and Phil Hubbard in Cleveland, Chris Mullen and Sleepy Floyd to Golden State, and Gary Payton, usually in Seattle, but it's so rare you can't count on it. Ty Lawson in Denver didn't want the responsibility. I decided that leadership is overhyped and that good soldiers are undervalued. A connected, unified team is superior to a dissatisfied team with a great leader.
1: I think I agree. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, I don't have any any argument with that. It is funny. I w- you just use the word bitter, and that's I'm getting the overwhelming sense of that again uh, with with this whole thing being sprung on me and not having read one word of this. <laughs> I do think bitter, and I also think it's a it's a weird place for him to be in. It's why I made the observation earlier about it, it sounds like he put on his old old uh, white guy, and you use the the you know irreverent uncle at the Thanksgiving table. It's a weird place for him to be in. 30 years in or 35 years in he's he's accomplished quite a bit his job was to take on complicated personalities and try and, and have them play well and and he had some success with that so i don't understand the point at now to be dropping the, the big bombs but you know well he also he sells a lot of books
0: he talks about aau babies he calls them the, the how AAUs ruined the culture of some of these guys and uh the personalities and the, the ability to be selfless and um it just sounds like he doesn't want to admit that this is really how basketball works that most guys are impossible that are really good at basketball and you you might end up with magic and larry and you know david robinson and some of the these great tim duncan i i think he's really just bitter that he never had a tim duncan (laughs) Like that, And and if he had had a Tim Duncan, I'm not sure Tim Duncan would have wanted to stick around with him for that long. Anyway, we got to do the power poll. Uh, Just blowing through these quickly. I have five Tankapalooza teams. Number 30, Philly. 29, Phoenix. 28, Miami. I'm putting them in there. I think they make their move soon. 27, Dallas. And 26, the Lakers. Even though the Lakers... On any given night, they're fun, they have some I I think at some point they're gonna look at this and and probably try to shop Lou Williams who I think would have some value and start playing young guys more and try to get into the top seven at least. They lose their pick unless it's the top three. I don't what would you do if you're the Lakers?
1: Try and keep that top three pick. I mean I I think that they've demonstrated to everybody what they're capable of—the thing that's that's most in the franchise's best interest for the future—is to get one of these great young players. You know that this draft is supposed to be super loaded, one through ten, right?
0: Yeah, the so thing is, anywhere
1: in it's, in that top three, it's is, is going to be a great return on investment.
0: Super loaded <laughs> draft, and the and the problem for them is they either have to bottom out or go the other way and trade and chase the eight seed. You know. Why not? If you're if you if you're going to lose that pick anyway, try to make the playoffs, get the eighth seed, get the experience of having your young guys go into Golden State for a playoff game and get their ass kicked. Like, that's all valuable to me. What I, The worst case scenario would be them belatedly deciding they should throw the season away. And then they end up like eighth and they give the eighth pick to Philly, something like that. I don't think that would be a great outcome.
1: That's what it looks like. They're kind of poised to do that. They're kind of poised to do that,
0: but they have some moves. Like if Lou Williams is somebody that has value in the way the NBA is being played right now. Uh, No Man's Land, number 25, Brooklyn, who has the second worst record in the league. And believe me, I follow it obsessively because Celtics have their pick. They actually, their record should be better. They've had some really bad luck in some of these games and they play hard. And they have no incentive whatsoever to tank, so we got to put them there. The next five are dazed and confused. 24, Minnesota. 23, New Orleans. 22, Detroit. 21, Orlando. 20, Indiana. These are five teams that the nine-man rotations are just really flawed in some way. And I think all five of those teams thought they were going to have better seasons than they are. I don't really know what the fixes are for any of them. Um, you look at a team like Indiana, I watched them last night. I watched. We're taping this on a Thursday. I watched them play your Wizards, and it turned into a Paul George versus John Wall game for a while, and John Wall ended up winning. The Indiana, both teams had a weird vibe. Your team has a weird vibe to it. I don't know if I like well, it. Well,
1: Beal was out. I know. Beal was out for, Another injury. for you know, yeah. Did the, and, and hopefully, I haven't seen the news today to see what the the update is. Uh, hopefully, it's not his annual six-week injury. I,
0: th- I think that it was is.
1: curious, so curious to me about Indiana. Do you know that that's the case about Beal? No,
0: I just it's Bradley Beal. Okay. I just <laughs> assume when he gets hurt, I just <laughs> just pencil in six weeks. I don't understand weeks. why
1: why they can't get stops. Indiana stinks at defense. Why do they stink at defense?
0: It's it's a team that doesn't really fit together. It's it must be. I they're they're not quite there yet, but they really have to look at the Paul George thing soon. He can be a free agent in a year and a half. and uh,
1: I think they were the team we were most wrong about in the over-unders.
0: Indiana and Minnesota were the two teams I was the most wrong on. I thought Tibbs was going to be able to teach Minnesota defense, and the problem for him is he just has terrible defensive players in that team. There's no way to teach Zach Levine, and I, I can't believe... I don't know what the deal is with Towns on defense, but he's a lot... A lot, uh, a lot worse than I thought he was going to be. That team is further away than I thought. They're just young. It's hard. I don't know what to do if I'm them. Do you panic? Do you you can't panic? The best three guys in the team are 22 and under.
1: Right, and they they should be able to play defense the way that we watched Oklahoma City play defense last year, which is like from uh, one side of the court to the other. You only need three guys. The wingspan basically covers the entire you know one side to the other, and and they're so athletic. Um, that they ought to be able to close out on everybody and Towns should just be nah. able to control around the rim, and it's just not the case right now.
0: It's it's not good. I've, I'm bummed. I wanted that team to, to be more fun, and Wiggins has become the most polarizing young guy in the league because the advanced metrics do not back up really anything going on with him. But yet when you watch him in the eye test, and he's such a good athlete, and he'll have moments, and – you just have to assume he's going to figure it out, but he's definitely the heir to the legacy of those Rudy Gay, Tim Thomas. He, he has more talent than those guys. But those guys that drift during the games, and you can't decide whether the light bulb is ever going to go off, go off or not for them. I just don't know. It's so it's so far, so early to, to make a decision on it. But the drifters. They, that those are the guys that, that keep you up at night.
1: You know? Yeah. Well I would say it's, it, your point is the right one. It's too early. Let's not wait not weigh Yeah, in let's on move that on. Yet.
0: I think some of these teams are, well we'll do a big trade thing next month, but Detroit, Orlando, Indiana, New Orleans can use their lottery pick if they wanted to get better right away, et cetera, et cetera. Then the next the next category of six teams in this trade machine. All of these teams are one trade away from being interesting, and I don't really know what the trade is. But 19, Portland, who has uh, really been a disappointment this year and is just awful defensively and another team where the pieces don't quite fit. 18, Denver, which just has a big man glut; like They're not even playing Nurkic anymore. I would try to trade for him or Reed if I was anybody that needed a big guy. 17, Washington. Your team needs to make a trade, but it's impossible because of the seller cap and the fact that you have no... Real trade assets other than <laughs> Otto Porter, and you wouldn't trade Otto Porter, right?
1: Not now, no. I I, I think this is the most unbelievable thing I'm going to say in in 2016. I would pay Otto Porter. I would give him a max contract.
0: Oh wow, give him more Bradley Beal money.
1: <laughs> I think he's earned it. I mean, okay. I, if he if he continues from from the beginning of the season through Christmas. He's earned uh, a max extension. And, you know, that gives you three young players here in Washington. Washington needs a big man. I can't figure out the trade. Now, the big man could be Mahinmi. Good luck Yeah, Mahinmi. Yeah, good luck. 14-minute Mahinmi. But, right, anyway, enough about that.
0: Yeah, your team is the least fun trade machine team. There's really there's not a lot to work with. There's no assets. Atlanta I have at 16. Sacramento at 15. I think Sacramento, might just because Boogie is so good, you know, if they were in the East, I think they would be four or five wins higher. But they, they, they have a Willie Cauley Stein move maybe to make. They might have a Kufus move to make. They need to get. They need to improve that Collison, Collins, Collison, uh, Lawson. See if they can do yeah. better point guard. But they, well,
1: Lawson's been good for them off the bench. He's found his his right role and his right niche there. They need a, a an appropriate um, you know starting point guard.
0: Yeah, I was going to say the problem is. Carlson is also a bench point guard. So you have two bench point guards. Yeah. You need somebody. And hard to play those guys at the same time too. But I do think that's a team that could end up maybe doing something. But then I have Chicago at uh, at 14, which is another team where the pieces – I don't know what happens to Rondo. The Rondo thing actually makes me sad. It's Just, you know.
1: He might just be done, right?
0: He might be done. It's like what happened with Iverson in Detroit. We're like, ah, maybe this is the wrong team from. Oh no, he's done. So yeah. out of all those teams, Atlanta is the one that has the easiest trade to make because they have it's one of the few teams that has too many swing guys. And Schroeder I don't think is I I don't think he's a forty minute a game point guard and he certainly doesn't have the leadership kind of wherewithal run the team type thing. Um, the way they were using him last year I thought was better. Corver is a really interesting trade piece.
1: I, he has to be in the right situation. They have, they're, they're asking too much of him right now.
0: Yeah, well, he's only playing I think, 23, 24 minutes a game, but they could sacrifice it and get another point guard that would help the Matalo or Schroeder. Right now they're they, uh, – <laughs> I can't even remember the name of their backup point guard. He's – well, One the, of the worst, the worst ones thing the is they
1: just had Jeff Teague. I mean, <laughs> they, they had yeah. two competent point guards. Well,
0: they got they turned they, that they, into a draft pick. They traded out of it. What would you think about Kyle Korver for Sean Livingston?
1: Hmm. How does that help Golden State?
0: It helps Golden State because Sean Livingston, they don't really need a backup point guard anymore. Basically, Durant's their backup power for or uh, point guard. And they play That's Livingston true. off the ball a lot. And it, it, to me, he seems like the most expendable warrior they have. And if anything, they need one more shooter out there. I was, I don't know. I thought that'd be a fun one. Uh, all right. So then last, last category, lingering, not lurking, Milwaukee, New York, Charlotte, Memphis. All these teams are going to make the playoffs. Milwaukee might have the highest upside if they make the right trade. I was telling you about Della Vadova and how I thought he was there, Albatross. And then you saw it in person a few nights ago, but, uh, they need to yeah, make that brutal there's some there's a couple teams that just need to make one spot better and when you're watching The Crunch times, you can see it Milwaukee del Vadova is that guy Oklahoma City. it's always that Robertson slash Moro whoever they have in that spot. It's just never a good enough guy and the Clippers same thing that it's just funny. there's certain teams they just need that one more guy. And yet, it's just so hard to make the right trade and find them. All right, we'll get to the top nine right now.
1: I don't think New York's making the playoffs, by the way.
0: Well, I I just think the poor Zingas, Carmelo, Pedigree, those guys are really good at basketball. It's really tough for me to imagine them sitting out the playoffs in the East, not getting enough 41 wins. And Rose, as horrible as he is defensively, he's a turnstile. And as annoying as it is to watch him at end of the game plays when they do a screen roll with him and Porzingis, like they did, I was just watching last night. Whoever they were playing draws both guys over. Porzingis is surging to the lane. He's seven foot three, and, and Rose just doesn't give it to him.
1: Well, let me just—I want to qualify that. I don't think New York, as currently constituted, is making it. They—they—they they, they will do. They will make a trade. I hope so. They, they have... have to get more out of Noah. Noah Noah has killed them to date.
0: I've been shocked by how much Knicks I've watched because I actually enjoy watching Porzingis. Like, I genuinely enjoy yeah. it. And I think Justin Holliday, they kind of lucked out. I like him too. I like some of the guys they have. They need to figure out the Rose Crunch Time thing because he's just a ball hog. He doesn't, he doesn't pass in the last minute of a game. He wants to be the hero. Uh, quickly, I want to throw some u- initials at you. UNDP. I didn't know what that stood for until recently, but you should because there's still time for your best end-of-the-year donation. UNDP is the United Nations Development Program. UNDP leading the fight against global poverty across more than 160 countries. They have, for 50 years, been doing this with amazing results. In 1966, when UNDP started its work, one in three people worldwide lived in poverty. Now, just one in eight. UNDP works to provide people with dignity through opportunity, people who just want a shot to live with dignity. UNDP works to give it to them. Please think about keeping UNDP help more and more of these people. I'd love for my listeners to go to UNDP.org give and enter promo code Simmons at checkout. You won't get a discount because it's a donation, but you will get the satisfaction of knowing that your donation makes a difference. Again, that is UNDP.org give and enter promo code Simmons. All right, the top nine. Power pull. We're going to go into these in a little bit of depth. depth. Flawed but fun. Number nine, Utah. Gordon Hayward's showing a little something-something in his contract year, 23-5-5. and They've had George Hill miss 14 games, which has been a problem. Derek Favors has fallen off a cliff, and even though he's only 25, he's he's been banged up for a few years now. He still has a sore knee. His stats are way down. And he and I think he has an extension coming pretty soon. To me, that's the red flag for them because their defense has been excellent. They've lost to the Golden State twice, unfortunately. Um, favors and Exum to a lesser degree, just because with the fifth pick in the draft, you would you would think he'd be playing a little more than or contributing a little more than he is. Obviously, he hurt his knee. But you've watched this Utah team a couple times. Do you take them seriously yet?
1: Uh, it, yes, and not just a small yes. It's a, it's an all caps, capital Y, capital E, capital S. Yes, I went and looked before we got on here today to see where we came out on Utah. I think I let you talk me into the under forty-seven for them. They're, they're good. They're, they're, they're a team that I could see scaring other teams in the playoffs. The one thing that they don't have yet that they will be interesting to see if they can figure out is uh inside the last five minutes, you know, how to yes. close out games. Um, but that was their a, issue uh, not, that was their issue last that's year. That's right. Correct, exactly. They're still working on that, but I, I I'm so impressed. They have a very deep rotation. They've stayed above uh water even with this um, you know, c- continued kind of bad luck injury wise, their are starting five, the starting five that Quinn Snyder would like to play has played together this season all of twelve minutes. Mm. Um and I, I think, you know, if they can get a little sustained um health going, they could be they could be really dangerous. They're really good. They they, they have so many different pieces um defensively and if if uh Hill George Hill I I uh was skeptical about him um, in the off season. I, I treated him as a, uh, a backup uh, point guard. He played like an all star um, until he got hurt at the beginning of the season. If he returns to that form, I, you know, there, there's, they can give everybody trouble in the West. I definitely think they could beat the Clippers. They could beat Oklahoma City. They can beat Houston. They can compete with San Antonio. I don't know if they're ready to beat them yet, and they can kind of compete with Golden State. I don't but think I they mean, they're can impressive Houston. to me.
0: I, I think Houston. You don't healthy. think they can beat Houston? I don't think they can score with Houston,
1: but well, they what, don't. Ha- they don't have to.
0: Well, what I like about them is how good their D is. Like they're holding the opponents to forty three percent, which is no joke. You know, yeah, and it's as first you said, in the
1: league in points per game,
0: and they've had bad. They've had bad luck with the injuries and stuff, but they do the same thing San Antonio does. They, they keep, they slow it down. They, they, the possessions are a little bit lower than in these other games, especially in the run and gun games. And they kind of make you uncomfortable and they make you play their pace, which is why when they play golden state, golden state's like, no, no, we're, we're going to play our piss. Thanks anyway. And They're one and one with the Rockets thing.
1: so far this year. Yeah. They the beat first the hell game, out of them.
0: They did. They did. I think a lot of it depends on what they get out of favors. I like what I see okay. the rest. I definitely underestimated them. I underestimated Gobert is really what it came down to. I, I didn't realize he was going to make the leap that he made. And that he had a two or three week stretch where he was, you know, one of the five best players in the league. He cooled off a little bit, but uh, I had the Celtics at eight. I do like my team. I feel pretty good about it. Unfortunately, we're taping this before the Cleveland game, but I, I'm going to say this uh, very cautiously. I think they will do well against Cleveland. Oh. Yeah. I is like Cleveland the way they're playing. playing. everybody? The, the Celts are deep, and they figured out a really important thing early on because Brad Stevens is very smart. He figured out that he had to stop playing three guards at the same time, and they had to stop playing small ball and chuck it up, and that he just had to go a little more conventional. And basically for the last couple of games, he's got Isaiah, he's got... Avery Bradley, who's been outstanding this season, and then Marcus Smart is the third guard, and he plays two of those three, and that's just who they are now. And they play more Jarebko, Jarebko, however you want to pronounce his name. They they, they throw out some Gerald Green. They play a little more Amir and Horford. Like they're, they they elongated the team. They still need to make a trade, but when they have Horford and Isaiah healthy, with Jay Crowder healthy. And some of the other pieces they have, it's a good basketball team. It's one, it's one of the seven best teams, and and Isaiah has been out of his mind. He's been well, out of his mind. They're poised
1: to go on a. They're poised to go on a little run here, home, fifteen of the next twenty games.
0: Well, that's the thing they uh, got. They got crushed by the schedule. They had this really weird schedule where they never had a home stand or a road trip. It was just like game here, fly here. It was like they were they were just never settled, and they were never in Boston for longer than a couple of days. And that finally shifts next month. I think they're going to end up being a very good regular season team, and I feel good about our over. I don't think they're in the class of Cleveland and Golden State, but it's the type of team that you'll look up and there's three minutes left and they have a three-point lead in Cleveland. You're like, oh, all right, LeBron's got to activate. And then he does, and they lose by one. Oklahoma City, I have seventh. And at the time we're doing this, Russ is at 31.7 points, 10.9 assists, and 10.6 rebounds. And a 42.6% usage rate, which is just staggering. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Any of those stats. Five and a half turnovers a game. Um, He murdered the Celtics twice. The, in Oklahoma City, he took out a hatchet and... He just kind of got us in the kidneys with it a couple of times, and the Celtics quite fell over a bit and died. Of that.
1: He enjoyed it too, by yeah. the way.
0: Yeah, it was, it was. It was. It was more. It wasn't an abrupt murder. It was more of like he hit us in a couple spots, so we had to bleed to death on the court in it Boston.
1: Felt slightly. Yeah, it felt a little sadistic.
0: Yeah, in Boston was more of just a flat out beheading. It was it was just we were hanging, it was great, it was great, it was like Game of Thrones. Then all of a sudden Ned Stark's head was just rolling around the floor. He he hit two thirty foot threes with a hand in his face. In a row. In the last minute. I watched. And ended up with like forty four, fifteen, and eleven or some crazy thing. My dad went to the game and complained that Westbrook got all the calls, but both my dad and Tommy Heinzon, who are the most craggy homers that I know. Both of them were like, hats off to Westbrook. Oh my God, that was amazing. Jesus, what just happened? I I actually think this is now, this Westbrook season is now moving into that 2006 Kobe, 2009 LeBron, 96 MJ. Just a spectacular individual achievement. Like, forget about where, where they end up with the wins. It's just the night to night, him just going to different cities and beating the living shit out of teams. It's not a hot streak now. This is going to be the season he has unless he gets hurt. It's incredible.
1: Well, the most important thing to me is 31 games in, or 32, however many they've played, he is uh, only at 35 minutes a game. Now, that's that's a lot, right? Unbelievable. But, but you know, uh, for, the, for the usage rate, um, he's got the ball in his hands all of the time. It's appropriate. Uh, there's a huge drop-off when he's not on the floor for them but you know let him have this season keep those minutes m- managed and let's just enjoy this 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 whole season of of russie of russie's revenge
0: i'd like to see them they have this one spot we talked about the the terrible spots the, the anthony morrow Robertson spot just kills them that those guys is are a
1: poss- possibility?
0: He's been okay. Is that how he, you say it? Yeah, Alex Sabrina's. He's been okay. But Moro and Robertson are playing 47.9 minutes a game combined. And they're averaging 13 points a game. And they're both under 30% three point field goal shooting. So, to not. Moro, the only reason you have him is to shoot threes. They need somebody in that spot, which is why. You know, not to bring up Kyle Corver again, but if you if you toss Atlanta Cameron Payne, who I still like and still think he's gonna be good, he's a waste on this team because Westbrook has the ball all the time. He can't Cameron Payne needs to have the have the ball if he has a chance to succeed. But you put him and Morrow and you throw something else in there and you try to get Kyle Corver back. This team needs one more shooter and they would become really scary in the playoffs. I would not want to play them in the playoffs. Russ needs one more shooter out there. And then he can just do rust things. But, man, is he amazing. He, We predicted this before the year, as as did some others, that we thought they were going to be better than people realized because he was going to be on the vengeance spree and they had the rebounders and the shot blockers. But oh. I didn't think – Oh, yes. I didn't expect this. I really didn't. And I, and
1: I usually <laughs> – You didn't predict him having a triple-double through 31 games?
0: It wasn't even the triple-double. I think if we had talked about it long enough, we could have predicted a triple-double or something close. Maybe we even did. I don't remember what we said. I didn't predict the night-to-night eviscerations that he's been pulling off because he was such an erratic outside shooter before this. I just assumed eventually teams would pack the paint and just make him shoot and he would, you know, and that and that I would be the downfall. I think he's the
1: singular, most compelling talent in the NBA. He's the guy that if he, when he comes to town, you have to go, you have to take out the wallet and go see him play.
0: I completely agree. And... Not since LeBron was doing this at the end of last decade, every night for Cleveland, have we seen anything like this. Now, you could say the Warriors, Curry and Clay. Curry was incredible for those two seasons. But this is like a psychological evisceration. You know, like the Celtics, he broke the Celtics in Boston. They were were like, we're going to beat Oklahoma City tonight. And then he made those two threes. And it was like, the fans are just (laughs) shoulder sag going to the exits. Like, we have not... We've not seen that in a while. He's got so much swagger. Uh, number six, the Clippers, who are just a mess. And last 18 games, 8 and 10, you could argue that they should be number nine and Utah should be number six. We, we'll save this for another podcast because I, I want to know when Blake's coming back and all that stuff. They, they're they two big issues. They're three big issues to me. The Pierce, Wesley Johnson, Maba Mute. Like, just the fact that those guys combined are giving them 36 to 40 minutes a game is crazy. Rivers and Crawford playing 50 minutes a game together is just not a recipe for winning a title. Because you're talking about two shoot-first guys who don't rebound, who don't pass, who don't play defense. And you're playing them together. I don't understand that at all. And then, you know, they just have a fundamental issue of who on this team guards Durant, Clay, James Harden, or Russell Westbrook.
1: They've had this this problem for for years now i mean we've been talking about it It feels like the same conversation we've had for three years i
0: think it's worse this year though because now you have any way a playoff matchup could go you have a spectacular offensive player going against you and you don't even have anyone on your roster who can slow them down
1: the answer is supposed to be chris paul poking Steph in the chest again well he's not doing
0: he's not doing that at the westbrook There's nobody, I mean, not that any other team, like at least the Celtics, when we played Westbrook and he still killed us, at least we had Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart and Jay Crowder and Terry, Terry Rozier is too small, but at least we could throw people at him to make him work a little bit. The Clippers don't have even that. So, and then on top of it, when does Blake come back? There's a malaise with this team and you can feel it and you can feel it at the games and, uh, Something needs to happen, and I'm not sure what. B, what would you do? Let's I save think it. I you would know, what? write it out. All right, let's save it. Houston, just quickly, amazing. Like we had the seven seconds or, or Suns, seven seconds or less Suns, and their points per game are better. Their offensive ratings better. They shoot 15 more threes a game than the '05 and '07 Suns did, and make almost the same amount. They, in December, I looked it up today, the splits, 42.33s a game they're attempting. They're making 16 a game. They're making 39% of them. Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson are making almost eight threes a game together in December, shooting 44%. For December, the Rockets are 119 points a game. And Harden is at 28 and 12 assists every night. And... uh. And has a chance to get eight hundred free throws and seven hundred three three point field goal attempts, which is amazing i i'm I'm really impressed by them. We'll see if they can they can uh survive the capel injury, but the big thing for me is can they keep Gordon and Anderson healthy for six more months? You know
1: well, all those guys do is run three point line to three point line and they yeah. catch and get open shots there, so yeah. you know. Fingers crossed. We want the full complement. We want Houston to enter the playoffs completely healthy because we want to see what they're capable of and whether this style. This will be the you know the, the second true test of, of uh, the D'Antoni, right? We, we had it uh, with, with Phoenix, and now we'll get another genuine try of, of this theory, this approach. Um, and he, I mean, is it fair to say that, that even Steve Nash, at, at the height of all of his powers, He's, he's a, a, a rival to Harden, but would you say that he was better than Harden for this? Yeah, it's tough. I know, I, the it's the tough league to is so
0: different. The mindset of the league is so different now.
1: It's true. It's true.
0: I actually think if you flip them and you put Harden on those Suns teams and he had Amari to throw lobs to, that would have been kind of fascinating too. I don't know. I, it, it's To me, it's like the evolution of those teams. And it's cool because I thought. I, you know, I'm glad that Mike D'Antoni. It turns out that he's a good coach as long as he's has specific types of players playing a specific type of way. He's, you know, he picked two bad situations for the money. He did the Knicks and he did the Lakers for the money, and they were both mistakes, and he shouldn't have done them. And now he has the right type of team again.
1: He's allowed. I don't mind. I'm glad that
0: I'm glad to see that he had such a dramatic effect on a player that I really liked. liked uh, from a ceiling standpoint in Harden who I didn't like watching the last couple of years it was just that, that playing one type of way clear out everybody standing around now it's like there's No, logic. You, you, you
1: only didn't like him last year and now you didn't like him last year because he showed up fat and they were, they were yeah, barely a 500, 500 team right. but the year before you loved him and yeah, I you're loved right. him so too we thought he going to be an MVP yeah. we had a one year regression and now, now he's fat
0: I forgive James Harden
1: uh, <laughs> me too I'll, I'll forgive him even more if he wins MVp it doesn't seem like it's a possibility but I at 20 to one I have him so delicious
0: I know but Westbrook's winning that thing if he puts in three yep. and a half more months like this Westbrook's amazing yep Westbrook's, Westbrook's team amazing. isn't even good I th- I like the mustache brothers they're fine like they they can they can defend people I guess when they need to it's not I wouldn't put them on the elite category or anything but it's I, I what he's doing reminds me of Kobe in '06, except it seems like his teammates actually like him, and the team is going to be a little more successful than Kobe in '06.
1: Number you four, know, defensive rating is better than their offensive rating right now. They're tenth in the league defensive wise.
0: I know. I, I, I'm going eye test a little bit on this, just from having my team okay. played them twice. Yeah. I felt like I felt like we could get buckets on them when we needed it. Our problem was we couldn't stop Westbrook, but
1: well, I, I. Washington had every chance to beat uh, OKC down in OKC, and it was exactly what you just described, which is we could get a basket every time we needed. It just couldn't stop Westbrook. Yeah, they and had... Westbrook carried them into overtime and then single-handedly won overtime against the Wiz.
0: They played a lot of close games, and they've done pretty well on them. Number four, Toronto. So just a couple quick things. I, Toronto, I think, still needs to do a trade, and I'm not even positive what that trade would be, but it's like they're one... They, my issue with them is they don't have enough looks. They have that small ball lineup that they like with with Jonas and Patterson and either Ross or Carroll and then the two guards or the two guards with Ross and Carroll, one big guy. But they don't they don't have that bigger. We're oh we're playing the big boys tonight. We're gonna get pounded on the boards unless we play these guys together lineup, which is what they missed from from uh, Bismack last year, but. They're rebounding. I think they're 23rd in the league in rebounding. Now, on the bright side, third and three point, which you can see when you watch the game, like they're just really, they get good, smart three point shots. And Patterson's turned into a great stretch four. who would have thought that Patterson would be the best player in that Rudy Gay trade. There's, they have a plus eight point, four point differential, which is really good. Like, I think if you get over six points a game, point differential, like you're doing something, eight is. Like you know, usually that's a fifty-five win, sixty-win team. Yeah. And then the Lowry, DeRozan have both gone up a level. And I don't, I don't know when they officially mastered that high screen. But do you feel like your team ever has a chance to stop it when those guys did that together? I, I feel, I felt helpless when they did it against Celtics.
1: You know, they're 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 incredible. I I was really impressed last night. Uh, they kept coming against against Golden State. They yeah. just kept kept bringing it. Kept Game bringing was over. It. I, I'm not. sure. You opened with the question of, of uh, you know what what's, they, they feels like they need to make a trade and we can't really put our, our finger on what it would be. I think I might stamp pat. I okay. think I might just sort of see what happens with with Cleveland. You know I yeah, I, I I take a look at that team and I say I like my team and I like my team in the East and you know we're we're one bump away. From uh, Cleveland coming into the playoffs, you know, at less than perfect health, um, maybe we just we just run with it.
0: Yeah, I, for, I'm not a huge Terrence Ross fan, even though he's been having a pretty good year this year. But that that would be the guy I would look at. I think they have the assets to improve he, at up, that spot.
1: I don't know. He, he he had a great game last night. People love him.
0: I know, but that's the thing. It's like. I think you need a third perimeter guy. I'm just thinking about trying to beat Golden State or Cleveland if that's your goal. Okay. I I need somebody that is better than Terrence Ross in that spot is where my head's at. Because I'm either going against Kyrie, Kevin Love, and LeBron, or I'm going against Clay Durant, Curry, and, and Draymond and all those guys. I don't have enough firepower with just DeRozan and Lowry. I just don't feel good enough about it. I need more bullets, house. Know. That's that's all I'm saying. I'm not,
1: I don't know. Uh, I'm not there.
0: Okay, They're you like Terrence me Ross believer. more than I do. Well, you, you, the Canada's going to love you. I'm not a non-believer. I just I don't know how different it is from last year. Even with those two guys playing better, it just I just it, feel like it, Cleveland and Golden answer. State are another plane.
1: You just answered it. They, 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 those guys are playing better, and I think the um, the cumulative effect. They, they now are really like a, a, a veteran team for this, this era of, of the NBA, right? These sustained trips to the—repeated trips to the playoffs, and they've paid their dues. I'm really excited to see what they're capable of in the playoffs this year. I'm not going to lie.
0: Canada loves you. I hope you're right. I really do. I hope you're right. San Antonio, I have it three. And— uh... It's funny they they slow it down. They're basically a better version of Utah. They shoot the threes really well. Parker and Mills together, 21 and 8. 47 40, 88 splits. I saw them in person last week. Um It's a weird team. And I, and I mean that as a compliment. They have they have so many different things they can do during the course of the game and so many different looks that they can throw out there that it's I I actually think it's got to be a tough team to coach night after night, you know? Well, this they, is, they go big, they sure. go small, they can do whatever really they want. But when they go small, I don't like that small ball team. And I think that's going to be their kryptonite against the Warriors. When the Warriors I play that smaller Stiny team, Mo. I think they're in trouble.
1: Stiney Moe wrote this, uh, I think in his power rankings. Could This year, more than any, Pop, Pop might really deserve a, a long, hard look at Coach of the Year. He might. They have an incredible bench. Of guys that you know, to, for the Dwayne Dedman and uh, Kyle Anderson, and uh, you know g- guys that are like Who? Jonathan what? Simmons. Yeah, right. Who's electric? And they come. And we're gonna, we're about to see a nice uh, run with Deontay Murray. We're gonna see whether or not you know he was the the draft uh, darling, right? The steel, the draft steel darling.
0: I have a weird Spurs observation. So, and I noticed this watching them in person when they play their best five guys and they're all out there at the same time and it's Kawhi who doesn't speak, who's a robot as it been discussed a million times. LaMarcus Aldridge, who I'm not sure has ever said anything either. Tony Parker, who's, you know, t- does Tony Parker stuff and then Danny Green and then pick anyone else. There's a weird kind of mute vibe to the team. It's it's all quiet fire. I can't describe it. It's just it's
1: it's the it's, personality of that team and it's pop.
0: But the, the personality is that nobody has a personality, so everything well, comes from pop. That's
1: the Duncan legacy. That's Tim Duncan. I know, but
0: what's weird about Duncan is his he. I felt like he did have a personality. Like he was kind of the galvanizing force. Remember, he always had the arms around everybody, and he was the centrifugal force. And now it's pop. And I guess my point is, I, I, there's just not a great success rate with the coach being the emotional fulcrum of the team.
1: Well, it still could be. It's still going to be Manu and Tony when it when yeah. we get to the playoffs. Right? So yes, It'll be are, those two guys. Because I are like, role players
0: at this point. It's gotta that, come from that. That's, it's gotta that's come from makes the most sense. It's gotta come from Kawhi and Aldrich. and that that was my it, issue watching them. Is like those guys are just doing their jobs. You know they just kind of do their thing, and and that's it. Golden State and Cleveland are the top two as always. the The only thing I learned from that really weird Christmas Day game that was incredible, and I, I congratulate us on our reverse jinx about how the Christmas Day <laughs> everything we said was it, it was great because I think we we Look, helped, the
1: stink streak applies to basketball. We help lift All the curse. All you do is say something bad.
0: We helped lift the curse. I was very proud of us, but um. The Curry thing, I, I need to watch it more, but when he made that three in like the last minute and a half and he kept his yep. hand up and he turned and the crowd, yep. And yep. everything about the body language doctor was studying very carefully and even rewound the tape. Everything about that said to me, I won two straight MVPs and I don't get the ball enough. That was how I interpreted mm-hmm. it as the body language doctor. It was like, I thought Kevin Durant, Dominated the fourth quarter, and that really that whole game, it was like watching Kevin Durant's Golden State Warriors play LeBron's Cleveland. And I think Durant, for the first time, I thought he got caught up a little bit in the Durant versus LeBron rivalry, and the fact that LeBron has owned him his entire career. LeBron's killed Durant his whole career. He's at every every step. LeBron's been better, and I think his career record against him was like seventeen and four, eighteen and four. And I thought Durant got caught up in it. I think he took nine shots in the fourth. He, some free throws, he had a couple turnovers and Curry and Clay took four shots combined. My question to you, does as great as they've been, as high as their ceiling is, as amazing as their stats and everything and the fact that they're going to win 70 games and everything we're seeing, it's just awesome. Does, does, do they have the best chance to beat Cleveland if everything is running through Durant like that? I would say no.
1: It's yeah, it, I I agree with you. It's supposed to run through Draymond. Draymond's the the I think he's out. The engine.
0: I th- I don't I, think it I think that. it runs through Durant now. And the question is, how do you? To me, it's Curry and Clay. It has to be their team. I thought Durant was going to come in as like the greatest version ever of Harrison Barnes and somebody who could be the backup point forward. But really, he came That's, in as like he's <laughs> one of the four best players in the league, which. We do, and
1: that's still the right role. What you just described is still the right role know, for him. And I think that they will they'll get there. I loved the two the veiled exchange. Uh, so Kerr didn't name names, yeah. but talked about fourth quarter turnovers and still floppy with the ball. And then last night, Steph didn't say anything other than he he made an observation about you know maybe we need to um, work some more pick and roll. Maybe It seems like maybe we got away from some of those sets in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So he's not he's not naming names or calling out. But right, back and forth, right?
0: But that's the thing is, and that's what happened in that Cleveland game. I thought it was a lot of one-on-one. It was a lot of jumpers with a hand in the face. It was guys forcing it. And it's not what made that team special. And the vibe is slightly different. The reason I want to make a big deal out of it is it's a long season, and those guys are so smart they'll figure it out. But – as crazy as this sounds, it's almost like Durant is too good to just kind of shoehorn in there in the Harrison Bard spot. It definitely did affect the team. And for the most parts, it's great. But when you have a Christmas Day game and the Cavs roaring back and the fans going nuts and all that, and everybody starts going one-on-one, it was in the, they were in the same issue they were in last year.
1: So, so what I would say is uh, m- maybe they're willing to sacrifice that Christmas Day game, which they had seven different opportunities and to they, win and it, and it was over. It anyway. was done.
0: They they had the
1: yes.
0: the pass that uh when they got the steal and Iggy threw it ahead to Durant and he didn't throw it far enough and Kyrie jumped in. Um But the maybe game was that's a fair
1: price to pay, right? Maybe.
0: I'll tell you one thing that's bad for them. LeBron thinks he owns that team. And I he tell you, does think that. He well he at least thinks he owns Durant. And Kyrie thinks he owns the entire team, and they have nobody to guard Kyrie. And Kyrie's confidence slash swagger level is off the charts against Golden State. And he really feels like it's he can awful. do anything. He was unbelievable in that fourth quarter in Christmas. Unbelievable.
1: I love it. I love it. It's great. And he, I think he thinks yeah. he's.
0: I think he genuinely thinks he's better than Steph, and I think Steph's two MVPs piss him off. And he's like, I'm better than this guy.
1: Let's just root for continued help for both teams until June. All
0: right, quickly, stop wasting money on expensive takeout. Sign up with Blue Apron. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron will deliver you all the fresh ingredients you need for a delicious home-cooked meal. They have the highest standards for ingredients, and they're built, they are They've built a community of home chefs that has no rival. Some of the meals available in December, which is almost over, include roasted pork and braised cabbage with barley and glazed apples. How's you eat that? mm Thai green coconut curry with sweet potato and jasmine rice. Brown jasmine. Brown butter. You like jasmine no matter what it is, whether it's a food, it's a human being.
1: All walks of life.
0: Brown butter and chestnut gnocchi with Brussels sprouts and pea shoot salad. So in January, those meals change. So look forward to that. Right now, you can get your first three Blue Apron meals for free with free shipping. Just go to blueapron.com slash BS, Blue Apron is a a better way to cook. All right. Golden State Cleveland. We can go break that down later. We're going to have six months to break that down. The Kyrie thing. I loved what I saw from Kyrie. I was really proud of him. It was just great. It was just, that was such a great basketball game. I I watched it and then I had taped it and I went back and I watched the last 15 minutes again just because I enjoyed the hell out of it that much. So we got to do the Callaway par three uh we'll rush through it quickly because this podcast is already too long. Sorry about that. But football basically football has been uh has been kind of ruined in week seventeen. Usually we have all these different playoffs for grabs and spy and it's really the only the NFC North is the only must watch game. There's some other seeds in play and stuff like that. We covered all of it on Sal's podcast the other day. But uh House, what is your lock for Week 17 for the Callaway Part 3.
1: Well, you know, I've been on this this streak. We've been talking about it really all all season long. And and by the way, uh, how about what we did to Matt Barkley on Saturday?
0: We ruined his life. (laughs) We ruined his $60 million contract. He threw five picks. I really
1: feel like... It would be okay for me to to reach out to Kirk Cousins' people and ask them for a small slice. He's going to get twenty five million bucks. I don't know how much you know yeah. the, the the deal that the Deadskins are going to sign him to, but uh, I'd like a little taste after what he did to after the performance against Matt Barkley. After what we did,
0: I feel terrible, and it it felt worse to uh, have him on my DraftKings team. But although somehow he got to like nineteen points, but he just kept throwing the ball to the other team, and I think they dropped a <laughs> he couple did too. That. Who do, you have for, who do you have for this week? I, I wasn't
1: upset. Well, on that same note, obviously I'm taking the Giants plus seven and a half. Now, it's, it's it's too many points. The Deadskins have to win to make the playoffs. If they win, they make the playoffs, barring the extraordinarily unlikely event of a tie between Green Bay and Detroit. Uh the, the, the uh, Deadskins, two and five straight up against the spread in the last seven against the Giants. Obviously, I'm taking the Giants because I need the Deadskins to win this because playoff football is the best, and I need playoff football in my life here in the DMV.
0: So you're just you're just point blank using your Callaway par three stink and putting putting it on the Giants to try to send your team to the playoffs. Do the Giants have anything Correct. to play for? Who? the Giants have anything to play for in that game? They're stuck no, at the nothing. five seed, right? It's a terrible yeah. pick. Ka- I hope Callaway sends you a nice Seven bag of... Seven and a half.
1: It's too many points.
0: Callaway they should send you a nice bag of 11 irons. I have... <laughs> <laughs> I have a... Uh... I'm going to break tradition in this podcast, and I'm doing a tease for oh. my pick. Yeah. I'm doing a I tease. I didn't know
1: teasers were an option.
0: Yeah. Well, I- I've decided they are. <laughs> I <I'm> 17 te- <laughs> Go nuts. I'm teasing the Atlanta Falcons minus seven uh-huh. with the Kansas City Chiefs minus six in San Diego. Atlanta home for New Orleans. Both teams have to win. Both teams will win. San Diego season has gone into the uh, the, port, the tipped over Portageon phase of of the season thanks
1: to the Cleveland loss. I mean, literally, they lost to the Browns. Speaking of tipped over Portageons,
0: Atlanta can lock up number two. Kansas City can lock up number two as well if they win and Oakland loses in Denver, which I think. Uh, there's a very decent possibility, considering Derek Carr's leg is broken. And, yeah, poor, uh, poor Derek Carr. I like that tease. I, I I would dare call it a borderline lock. So, wow. And then for our third pick, we have Green Bay and Detroit. And I think we're going to go head-to-head on this one, just for the hell of it.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah,
0: because you like Detroit, plus three and a half.
1: I actually uh, like the pack.
0: Okay, good. All <laughs> right, so we're not going head-to-head, because I think Detroit is – smoke and mirrors and Dallas could have had 60 points in them on Monday night if they wanted to and their defense yeah, just I, guys were open the whole game all over the field it's only going to be worse against Green Bay and uh man I I just don't see how Detroit can hang in a game that Green Bay has to win and they when they can throw the ball like they can throw I don't see it
1: well Lions 0 and three against the spread over the last three games I think that's that's where they're at you know the 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 finally the the uh the, the um, All of those early season, you know, snatching victory from the Jaws. Miracle comebacks, the, yeah. The the, yeah the, the the real Lions are finally, you know, showing their color, colors. Aaron Relax Rogers said going into Week 12 that they need to run the table. They're 5-0 straight up, 4-1 and against the spread. Since then, and the Packers kind of own the Lions. They've won three of the last four against the Lions. So I just I can't come up with the scenario under which the Lions can keep up with Green Bay.
0: And don't think there won't be a lot of Packer fans at this game too. E- ever since the Packers figured out their running back situation, they've been great. Uh, I'm with you. Three and a half seems a point a point low. To be honest, I think I thought this was going to settle at Packer four and a half, Packers five, something like that. Three and a half. Seems doable. It does leave the door open for the Matt Stafford cheapy, uh, you know, touchdown, down 11 points, cutting it, two-point conversion, Lions lose by three situation. But
1: tell our (laughs) friends about... That's going to happen now.
0: Tell our friends about Callaway heading into 2017
1: very quickly. I'm actually going to keep this one short. Uh, You you demand every week that I do it, and then I blow through your, your, your request. All I have to say is something epic is coming from Callaway. January twenty seventh, twenty seventeen. It is not the debut of, of the twenty-seventh debut of the Shaq. Oh but definitely something epic. That's all I'm gonna say about it.
0: So Callaway has something epic in store for us.
1: January twenty seventh, twenty seventeen. All will be made known. Okay. Yep.
0: Callaway's up to stuff. You know, yep. I follow the no laying up twitter account which i know you do too you like those guys the golf those guys yep. and they also insinuated stuff's in the works things are things might be happening
1: stuff is happening
0: maybe athletes who we tended to associate with a certain brand might be switching to another brand who knows who knows what's going to happen i'm prepared for anything
1: all kinds of possibilities tiger
0: woods is dressing up like santa claus 2017 could be a great golf year i'm excited to have Shackhouse back <laughs> Thanks to uh, thanks to Joe House. Thanks to Sling TV, the best way to watch live TV on your favorite device. With Sling Orange Service, pay just 20 bucks a month. Get ESPN, ESPN2, more top channels. Add the sports extra for just $5 for the SEC Network and more. Start watching for seven days free at sling.com slash Bill Simmons. Restrictions apply. And thanks as well to the United Nations Development Program. This is your reminder. Go to undp.org slash give. To make a donation, your gift will help fight poverty and help UNDP make a real difference in people's lives all around the world and is tax-deductible as well. Go now, UNDP.org slash give. Use my promo code Simmons at checkout to let them know that I sent you. And then finally, thanks to everybody at The Ringer and Ringer.com and The Ringer Podcast Network. Don't forget about this sports movie podcast that we launched on Channel 33 House. Have you listened to the sports movie podcast yet?
1: I stored it up. I'm, I'm saving. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to both Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt over right. the New Year's holiday. Yeah, Welcome let, 2017 with the sports pod.
0: And let me know if uh, if there's a sports movie you want to break down because people, people are grabbing spots. People are already Ooh, trying I to like make it. reservations. Uh, and okay. th- thanks to everyone listening out there. We had an awesome year here at the, at, at the whole podcast network. We built a whole bunch of them and and this one has gone great I can't even remember how many done. I think we're over 80 million downloads for the BS podcast at this point I don't even know what the final number is but it's been awesome thanks for spreading the word and we will see you on the other side in 2017 also thanks to Tate Fraser, and Jim Cunningham and Colin Orkut and who else who else should I mention Jim. Joe Fuentes Joe Fuentes I guess I should podcast mention Joe Podcast Joe and our whole team on the video audio side who have been great Uh, Until then, we will see you in 2017.